Welcome back to the Kettle Menu Podcast. I'm Caroline Rose, the founder and CEO of K-Rose Company and Kettle Menu. Thank you for joining us on this episode. I'm excited to bring you these conversations each week filled with relatable advice and techniques you can take back to your operation. It's my mission to make sure that we can ranch in the next generation. Make sure and subscribe where you're listening so you never miss a new episode. Welcome back to the Kettleman You Podcast. I am excited to sit down with Clay today. Thanks for being here. Hey, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your background to get started and how you're involved in agriculture? Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, I grew up the son of two heroes, I would say, because they started a ranch from nothing in the 80s. <laughs> and that wasn't easy to do. And so they did that by working full-time jobs in town and uh, just, you know, hustling to make their dream a reality. I'd say, I'd say the unintended consequence of that was that uh, the cows were our vacation and the and the ranch was our weekends. And so I probably had a bit of a lazy streak growing up and uh, grew up not appreciating cattle. Um, you know, I look at all these young people around me who they're carpet farming and they're, they're loving every minute of it. And they're, you know, when they're not in a tractor, they're talking about them or looking at them or thinking about them. And that wasn't me. And so, yeah, just didn't really enjoy it. Went away to a Bible school in just west of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and kind of got the, the taste of the city life and, and enjoyed that really actually did enjoy that. Uh, but I do remember a fairly distinct experience coming home from Bible school one time. And it's probably, you know, just the fact that it was a 13 hour drive and I was in a, in a two door, uh, 1993 Pontiac Grand Am. It was a teenage boy funk inside that car, you know, and I got out and I was like, Ooh, fresh Western South Dakota air. There's something to this. And so that was kind of, I always say that's kind of the seed uh, that was planted probably that started to bring me back to agriculture. And then I, uh, I got involved, uh, selectively in agriculture with my parents. I would, I would go sleep on their couch during calving season and calve out their heifers, help them calve out their heifers. And then I'd show up on branding day and run the irons or, you know, whatever. And so I was selectively involved, but not required to be involved. And I spent 12 years, right around 12 years working as a youth and associate pastor of a local church there. And when that started to, uh, when I started to need supplement that income, I went back to work for my dad part-time. And in the course of that, he said, you know, you should go get some continuing education. And so I went back to the, I went to uh, the High Plains Ranch Practicum, which was taught by Dallas Mount, Aaron Berger, and Blake, Blake Hopman. I think Blake and Aaron are still with Extension. Blake is in in Wyoming and Aaron is in uh, Nebraska and Dallas Mount has moved on and now runs the Ranching for Profit School. And so that was kind of where I started to get my introduction back to ranching and, and running a ranch as a business. And during the course of that, Dallas said a couple of times, somebody in this room should start a podcast. And I'd had the experience with the audio side of things and, and the website side of things through the church and uh, grew up around cows. So I could ask a reasonably intelligent question about cows. And the school had opened up a whole new world to me about what ranching actually was. And so I just, 
I started November in, I think the first week in November in 2017, I launched the podcast and have released on average a little more than an episode a week since I started. So that's kind of the journey to this point. We could talk a little bit more about what's happened in the last five and a half years, but that's the, the quick and dirty version of how I got where I am right now. I think you said something really important that I just want to point out where the ranch was not as enjoyable when you were a kid because of some of the working patterns of your parents. And to be honest, I think that happens on first generation operations and fifth generation operations. I think it's really easy to say, ah, I got to go check the cows you know, I actually got a feed or whatever and put our work in front of our family in agriculture. I see that more in agriculture than any other business as a whole. And I think it's really easy because we're dealing with something with a heartbeat. So it doesn't ever turn off, right? It's not like you own a shop downtown and you flip the switch at five o'clock or six o'clock. So talk a little bit about any guidance you have for that. If people are listening to themselves and either saying, yeah, that's exactly how I felt, or they're starting to say, I don't want my kids to feel that way. How do we get everything done on the ranch and still be very intentional with our time? Yeah. You know, and I I distinctly remember some conversations with my parents growing up that the cows get fed first. You know, I mean, we, like when it came to evening, uh, we were going to be out there and they were going to get fed before we went in the house and had supper. You know, that was just kind of the, the way it was, which is totally understandable. Great stewardship. You know, I mean, my parents were great managers and still are great managers of their their livestock. Uh, but it was, like you said, we own something with a heartbeat. There, There is no shut off on the need. They, they're going to, especially when you're, they were backgrounding yearlings. Back then, I always tell tell the story. <laughs> My brother and I were the mixer wagon. I think there was I don't know seventy five or a hundred hundred uh, yearlings in the backgrounding lot, and we would fill LES barrels with ground hay, and then we would fill five gallon buckets with cracked corn, and that's how we fed them every day. <laughs> Uh, there was no, there was no tractor dumping into a mixer wagon. That was my brother and I, so <laughs> that's how we did it. So, you know, I mean, it was, that was the way we did it. And I, I think, you know, one thing that I'm noticing is that I'm raising one of my sons and he's just like me. He is, I can see it for sure. He's just like me. And so I think some of that is just patience. You know, it took me, it took me a few years away from home in a city took me probably another 10 years back in my hometown, but not working on the ranch to really uh, decide that this is, this is amazing. This is an amazing lifestyle. This is an amazing opportunity for uh, a business. And, and in my case, ranching is to this point, at least in my, my case has been a side hustle for me, you know? And so I think that's, that's the way that I've approached it, but that's because I've always had another employment. So I think it's just patience, giving them the space that they need to say, hey, this doesn't have to be your thing, (laughs) you know, Uh, just because the people with our last name have done this doesn't mean it has to be your thing. And so I think that's an important thing is to just give people space to say, this isn't what I want, you know, and I I think, you know, that's probably connected to another conversation that there's a lot of people who it is what they want, but they don't have the last name. They don't have the right last name and the opportunity. And so there's probably a way to make space for those people 
and for the people that are that do have your last name not to feel that pressure that oh just because this is my last name i have to come back so i think that's kind of where i would go uh, with that question it reminds me one time i heard someone in succession planning say just because that's your son doesn't mean he needs to lead the ranch and it made me really think about how each, obviously, humans are made very differently, right? I look at my siblings and I'm like, wow, it's a good thing we all look identical to my dad or we'd have no idea we were related. But it's really interesting that in agriculture, we tend to assume that the next generation is going to take over if there's that opportunity. And nowadays, I mean, just you have an incredibly successful podcast, which 10 years ago was not even a conversation in agriculture. Like no one, there was no such thing as ad podcasters. That wasn't even a thing. And I think the beauty of being in agriculture nowadays is being in agriculture does not have to mean that you're farming and ranching full time. Yeah, I was just actually recording a podcast today uh, with an outfit who does crowdsourcing for agricultural funding, and it was it was a great conversation. Uh, but it was funny because he said we started out that you had to be growing something to be a client for us, and now as long as you directly touch agriculture, you can be a client. And he's, you know, he's talking about there's sensors that, that sense the heat of the animal, like how, what their body temperature is and, and try to predict illness earlier that way. And there's sensors that, that measure the smoke damage of grapes in the vineyards from the wildfires in California. And he said, those guys have all successfully funded through our platform. But when we started out, <laughs> you had to be directly growing something. You either need to be growing livestock or you need to be growing crops of some kind, or we can't you can't fund through our platform, but now it's expanding. And so I think that there is a world of opportunity. The engineer, you know, we're starting to see that technology get uh, affordable enough that it can be focused on agriculture. And so there's, there's an opportunity there for sure. I think that's really exciting. I can't wait to listen to that episode. Let's talk a little bit about your podcast. You started in 2017 and kind of take me through the podcasting journey that leads you up to today. Yeah, it's just been all all along <laughs> for me. Again, it's been a side hustle. I guess that if I have more than one side hustle, it probably makes me an entrepreneur. <laughs> but that's been kind of the the trajectory I've been on. But started out on all borrowed equipment. Uh, the church I was working for had extra equipment, so I used that to start and uh, started out there. And then slowly but surely, have amassed uh, my own equipment, mostly because generous people sent me stuff off of an Amazon wish list. <laughs> and so that's kind of how, how that all came to be. But it really just started with asking, I mean, Simon Sinek one time said that the, the role of the facilitator is to ask the stupid question in the room that everybody in the room is thinking, but everybody's too afraid to ask. Like everybody in this room thinks, if I ask this question, they'll lose respect for me. And so the, the role of the facilitator is to raise their hand and ask that dumb question. And so I think that's what my podcasting journey really has been, is just to ask the next dumb question and pay attention to people's answers, take notes, ask a follow-up question, and then also take notes of the people that they mention in the course of their answers and say, oh, that's another guest that I could have on in the future and just continue to grow the network that way. Uh, and then, of course, uh, have had 
multiple stellar guest lists submitted and said, you should talk to this guy. You should talk to that guy. You should talk to this guy from people who listen. So uh, that's kind of been the thing. And, and it's been an incredible journey. The network that has developed out of that, uh, the network that my family and I personally have, uh, has been incredible. Uh, but then also to see the people who have connected around the podcast completely outside of my influence or, or knowledge or anything like that have, has been cool too. And so that's been a, that's been a real blessing to see that. And I think that's one of the more fun things about the podcast is just the way that it brings people together. This fall, we're bringing you the only all-in-one resource for the seed stock industry, the Breeders' Edge. A seed stock cattle marketing summit will be a two-day, knowledge-packed virtual conference on all things seed stock, deep diving into production, marketing, and operational insights. Some of the topics we will cover are embryo transfer, reproduction, foot design, livestock risk protection insurance, seed stock nutrition, structure, utilizing social media, Facebook, Instagram, website design, catalog design, photo and video, email marketing, hosting your own website auction, up-leveling your services, budgeting, and successful succession planning. We will have experts in every topic. Registration for this event doesn't open until July 13th. You can go ahead and get on the waitlist now at krosecompany.com slash the Breeders Edge waitlist. See so we're the first to know when and how to register. I think the barrier to entry in agriculture is such a detriment to our industry. And we notice it with um, She's a Hand Ranch Camp, which is our hands-on ranch camp. And we just got done with one um, a couple days ago. And the women there always say, I knew I wanted, like I had this fire for agriculture, several of them, but they're like, I didn't really know how to ever get involved. They're like, you can't just call someone up on the phone and say, hey, can I come help you for a day? They're like, they look at you like you have, you know, an eye in the middle of your forehead. And I definitely think that that barrier to entry is problematic. I think people know they need to be in the industry. They have a desire to play some type of role. And the hands-on, the dirtiness part, that's really difficult to get into. And I just think as an industry, it's really sad to me because I'm a firm, firm believer that if you want to be a part of feeding your neighbor, your family, you know, the world, right? We always use that big phrase. But like, if you want to be a part of that, we need you in any sense that you can fit in. And so I love that you are able to ask those questions and to really just open it up and say like, hey, let's learn together. Let's do this. Let's get you involved. Let's get you confident enough to take the next step. Yeah. And I think that it's one of the things that's happening in our industry or in this business, this, uh, this business sector is that there is the realization uh, that we have an opportunity to start and it might look different than it has in the past that this opportunity to, to get started uh, might not look like it did for everybody else. And just the, as you said, also the podcasting, the proliferation of educational opportunities that are out there 
is incredible. And most of them are free. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of great ones that you can pay for. And I, the, the ones I'm aware of, I'm, you know, I would say you would have to, to sleep through most of it to not pay for the price of admission. You know, there's, there's incredible educational opportunities out there as well, but podcasting, you know, I learned so much in my day job, so much of, of what I do for my day job and the way I prepare boils down to something that probably could be classified as a podcast, taking that content in. And so, I mean, I think that there's just so much opportunity out there for people to get educated, to get uh, exposed to new ideas, new ways of thinking, new practices out of the box, methods of getting started, that it, the opportunity continues to get better. It's not getting worse. It's not getting more lean and more scarce. It's getting better. And so I think people just need to be willing to <laughs> maybe have somebody look at them like they have an eye in the middle of their forehead. And when they tell them, no, this is how we're starting in agriculture. <laughs> well, you know, it, it can't look the same for everybody. It's probably not going to look the same for everybody going forward. And so people are going to have to be exposed to these educational opportunities so that they are able to get started because it, we are dealing with a, a finite amount of land and, and those things, but those are the ones that are obvious. The ones that are less obvious are when you're driving around and you see this bare, this bare spot of land or this, this piece of land uh, that isn't being used during a certain time of the year, then you can see that as an opportunity to go knock on a door. And that might be what it takes, but that's, I think, something that people shouldn't, shouldn't discount. Absolutely. Talk a little bit about one of the meaning, most meaningful conversations you've had on the podcast and how that has kind of impacted the way you view agriculture or you approach people in agriculture. What is a, what is a situation that sticks out? Well, it wasn't a conversation I had on the podcast, but it, it was one that facilitated many conversations that I've had on the podcast. I went and visited a member of my congregation who was in his 90s, and I don't know how long I sat there, but it was quite a while, and he just told me about sheep ranching and all of his experiences as a young man in the sheep, sheep business on this place, and him and his brother ran a pretty large sheep operation. Even by today's standards, it would have been big, and then the next time I went and sat down with him, that was the last lucid conversation I had with him. Every other conversation I had with him, it didn't not not everything connected and it inspired me to go and to sit down with some of these people who are in their 90s or 80s and say tell me about your experiences tell me about what you have experienced in agriculture in life in how you got started and so i think those just the opportunity to go and sit down with some of those people has been huge and invaluable and I think it's something I'd love to see more of from around the country, people taking time to go do that work, to capture that history, uh, because we always talk about losing these this generation. And I think that, I don't know, I think that there's two sides of that coin. Podcasters could be the right people to do it because they've they've got the equipment and the time and, and to go and get it done well. I think some, some of the things I learned in those conversations is it probably wouldn't hurt to take some family along with you to to prod the right questions and answers and get more elaborate 
stories because some these people tend to be fairly private and sometimes they give short answers when there's really a long story there that would be great for everybody to hear. But I think that that's probably one of the things that really has impacted me the most is just that opportunity to sit down. And, and I'd love to capture more of those. I've had a few suggestions of people I should go and do, do that with again and uh, need to make sure that I, I take the time to get it done. That's one of my favorite things. So I'm third generation, but my dad moved to Montana in the 80s, kind of leaving his family operation and starting from the ground zero. But the fact that my grandparents are involved was still something that's super important. My grandpa's 90, my grandma's in her late 80s. And just hearing them tell the stories, I mean, one of the things is people always say, you know, you're kind of bullheaded, you kind of do things, you know, just put your head down and... And I always laugh and I say, well, that's genetic. And, you know, they asked me about that. And my grandpa was an eye doctor. And so he had a job in town. He owned the eye clinic in Jerome, Idaho. And my grandma farmed. So in the 60s and 70s, she was the one that did all of the farming. And it recently came up that my aunt and my dad said every time they'd get home from school, grandma would be outside working. And they're like, we always wanted an after school, you know, snack and grandma's out in the field doing whatever she needs to do. And my grandma actually, I mean, it's funny. She's an already, she's like, man, I wish I would have known that I could have come in for a few minutes. But just the fact that as a woman in that time, she was doing almost a hundred percent of the calving of the farming because my grandpa had the in-town job. And it's so ironic just looking at how our life has played out and how we have all been involved. She was really the one, and I never even realized it growing up, but she obviously used language that said women can do exactly what men can in the field. You know, if you need to be out there, you'll do whatever you want. If you want to farm ground and cattle and your husband has a job in town, nothing's going to stop you. And hearing her talk about things like that is one of my greatest joys. Both my grandparents are still alive. My grandma actually flies a Cessna. So if that gives you any idea about the type of lady we're handling here. But one of the things that I've tried to make a point of is anytime I ship cattle in Idaho that is close to where my grandpa lives, I go and pick him up because he's doing well. I mean, they live on their own, but I just know that he likes to look at good cattle and he's been out of it for a while now and he, you know, is hunting and fishing instead. But just having him in the truck and just telling him why I bought these calves, what I bought them for, and talking about genetics and stuff like the joy that that brings me is so, so important. And I think it's really easy to take, to look at your grandparents or anyone on the operation, the neighbor, and just kind of take it for granted that they've always been there. They always will share the same stories, right? We all are guilty of that. Oh man, they're talking about this again. And like their legacy is so, so important. And they knew what it meant to put your nose to the grindstone, get the work done, be innovative, like all of the things we really treasure now, it just sounded different back then. And so I love that you have been capturing some of those stories because we're going to miss it when they're gone. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, probably the, the biggest reward from that is hearing things from family like, Oh, we hadn't heard that story in a long time, or I'm glad he told that story on, on the deal. Or the one that really got me was when he was telling the story about how he ended up out here. One of them was telling the story about how he ended up out here. He actually 
you know, a guy in his eighties actually teared up <laughs> while he was ter- telling the story, you know, and for that generation, that was, that was pretty awesome to see it still that tangible to him and the dream he, he actually was in the middle at that time of writing a book called Air Castles, which was, I think, a phrase from that era about daydreaming. You're building air castles. And the guy who, whose land he was touring said, this is the place to come and build air castles. And that was in this neighborhood. He was from Iowa, but he was wanting to get out here to the west and or at least farther west than Iowa and run run cattle on more expansive land. And he said, this is the place to come and build air castles. And that was fun to to capture that and to get it him to tell that story without having to prompt the question of, well, you've re- written a book. <laughs> tell me about the book, you know, and he just told the story organically. So that was fun. Absolutely. And I think one of the coolest parts is I think the world has changed in agriculture a lot in the last five years. So talk a little bit about that. What are some things that you're noticing and some changes you're seeing just as we've gone through COVID, we went through the Holcomb fire. I mean, all of these events, how is the agriculture industry kind of ebbing and flowing? Yeah, I think I talked a little bit about it already. The proliferation of learning opportunities, I think, is a big one. And and they there's a new one every day. It seems like every time you turn around, there's another one. And I welcome more and more ag podcasts because their network, they're going to introduce their network to podcasting. And that's going to raise all of the podcasting ships. And as I've always said, you know, the people we're producing content for, you and I are producing content for, have uh, way more time to consume content than we have time to produce content for them. So it's going to take more than just one person producing all the content for them uh, because, you know, they're outside for hours a day doing things with their hands, but their mind is free to engage with some kind of content. And so I think it's, it's great to see that. And I, I do celebrate the growth of this, of this sector and hope that it continues, the growth continues to go in that direction. You know, I think that there's a lot of people that are looking at new ways of doing things, looking at different ways of doing things. Um, I always talk about uh, one of my favorite episodes of the podcast is an episode with a guy named Steve Strassheim from Iowa. And Steve is growing vegetables in Iowa, which I don't think of Iowa necessarily as a vegetable growing area, but he's direct marketing a lot of greens to restaurants and you can grow those for a big swath of the year in a greenhouse. And he's, but he, he just shared about the most profitable acre. Like that was the title of the episode is the most profitable acre. And I would say that you would have a hard time getting more profit off of an acre of land doing anything else in agriculture than he is. And so, I mean, it's just a different way of thinking about things, but there are those people in growing numbers all around the country who are looking for a more detailed story. I'm not saying better. a more detailed story connected to their food, you know, and they want to know more about where it came from and how it got here. So I I think that there's people all over the country who are doing that. And then, I mean, of course, the supply chain issues that we experienced during COVID, I mean, made everybody rethink how they're getting their groceries. I mean, we had a freezer full of beef going into that. So it was great, but you know, other people not as great. And they went to the store and for the first time, probably in their lifetime, you know, certainly unless they were in their nineties for the first time in their lifetime, they saw empty shelves. 
And so then they had to start thinking about, well, what does food security look like in this situation? And how do we go about making sure that we're getting it? And I think that there was a bunch of people who were already attempting to build direct to consumer markets that were ready to step into that place. And then there were some people who, who saw it as an opportunity as well to say, oh, well, let's meet that demand and went through the steps to do that. And I think that the last thing I'll say, and there's more that could be said for sure, but the last thing I'll say on that is uh, the processing side of things. I'm seeing the processing side of things change a lot. And I think CIS is part of that where there's these Uh, reciprocity relationships between states where you can ship meat across state lines as long as they're part of the program as well without a USDA inspection. And I'm just seeing more and more uh, either USDA or state inspected facilities popping up all over the place. And there's grant money that's helped start a couple of them in my neighborhood, quote unquote neighborhood. But there's a lot of those that are going to make a dent in the cattle processing capacity and giving people an opportunity and a place to go and a market for some of those are going to be like an old, not kind of an old school butcher shop, but they're processing 25 head a day and they've got a a meat shop in the front end, the customer facing the, the public facing side of that business will have a meat processing shop that the customer can walk into and buy a T-bone that day if they want to. And it will have a label of the ranch that it came from on it. And so There's lots of really, really good things, I think, in that regard. And again, more opportunities. I think there's more return to the rancher in those scenarios. And that means that there's more opportunities for people to jump in and take part. Are you wanting to start a farm-to-table business but don't know where to begin? Caroline and Grayson have been exactly where you are. That's why we decided to host Scaling Farm to Table Behind the Scenes with the Rancher's Daughter this fall from October 12th through 15th in Kalispell, Montana. During this event, you will learn insider information like how to ship across the country and how to price your product. If you want a place to start, this is the perfect event for you. You can sign up now at cattlemenulive.com backslash 2023-farm-2-table-event. I think one of the things I'm noticing a lot is that it used to be, you know, you had a husband or wife that worked in town. So one income was derived 100% from agriculture and one income was kind of derived off of the farm. It seems as if to me that it is very common for a farmer or a rancher to have three or four sources of income and trying to diversify that a little bit and whatever that looks like. But it seems as if we are moving a slightly more to like a corporate business structure in the sense that you have multiple services or you're doing a rental house or something like that to where you're kind of mitigating some of that risk by having multiple incomes. And so I have noticed that. And I think it really allows people to use their creativity It allows us to be a little bit more secure, right? If something happens to the kettle market and you farm or you sell hay or you custom cut or, you know, you AI for the neighbors or whatever it looks like, it seems as if we're starting to spread out our income a little bit, which makes me excited because I think that it is more easy to get burnt out when 100% of your income comes from one thing. And the roller coaster of economics is a lot scarier (laughs) when you have one source of income. 
Yeah, cash flow is huge, you know, and and I think that's a big thing that we're seeing with people who are diversifying is that they're they're going towards enterprises that generate cash flow on more than just one day a year, <laughs> or maybe they don't generate cash flow more often, but they generate cash flow at a different time of the year than the one that their primary their primary source of cash flow is, and I think that can be a big part of, you know, we never had the you know, how are we going to make ends meet conversations around our kitchen table growing up? Because both my parents worked good jobs in town. But I think that's a real conversation that happens on a lot of uh, ranches, you know, especially in with years like we've had the past couple of years with droughts and, and hay prices going through the roof and all these different things start to really make an impact on people's businesses. And so I think that there's, there's a lot of people where that cash flow is a huge deal is a really big deal and they have to figure out how to make make that work and make it something because that is one of those contributing factors to kids who say oh this isn't that much fun <laughs> you know if we if we're always broke and we're always looking for you know looking for ways to make ends meet this really isn't that enjoyable and and so if we look at ranching more as a business which is one of the main pillars of the working cows podcast is how do we run this as a business? How do we manage this as a business? Because it is, and if we're not managing it as a, as a business, that's part of what makes it unsustainable, is that we're not financially sustainable. And so it becomes one of those things where we're on a, on a wheel, on a hamster wheel, just continuing having to hustle all the time to make ends meet. And you can't, as Dave Pratt, I think, probably coined the phrase, you can't run a sustainable business on unsustainable effort. And so I think that these people who are thinking outside the box and doing things to to generate cash flow at different times of the year and have multiple enterprises uh, that are all generating cash flow in their own right is a very promising development. Absolutely. I recently had two people on the Cattleman U profit panel, which is the insider membership, we have the guest speakers come and do a little panel to answer people's questions. And I said, besides cash flow, what is the what was the biggest hindrance to getting started? And both of them said cash flow. (laughs) (laughs) And it was just one of those reminders about how important and realistic cash flow is, but also the reassurance that if you feel that cash flow pressure, you're not alone. But that doesn't mean that we can just say, ah, everyone has that problem. And so I think the way you spoke about it is so important. Just knowing there is a solution. You know, we can run it like a business. It's going to look a little different. But if we circle back to the very beginning, if we want this to be an appealing lifestyle for the kids, it has to be profitable. We have to be putting money away for retirement. We have to make sports games, right? We have to show up when it matters to them. And if we're going to do that, we have to change the way we view the ranch. And it's challenging because it's a great lifestyle, right? Like that's the best piece. But I don't think we can have a next generation of farmers and ranchers. I don't know that our kids are going to put up with what we put up with as kids. And so if we want third, fourth, fifth generations of rent, like we have got to change the game a little bit and tweak it because the freedom now is crazy. I remember talking to my grandma. She said, my cousin works, must be for NASA or some, some company like that. And he was home in Portland doing work. His office was in New York City. 
And she said, I cannot imagine talking to my mom about this. And it was one of the coolest moments where she was like, one, could I even tell her that there's this thing called the internet and then they video chat? What's a video? And we, like the environment is changing and ranching has to adapt. I mean, doesn't have to do everything that corporate America does, but we have to get closer to some of those things to make this an appealing lifestyle and make this an appealing career for the next generation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's one of those things that we cannot afford to allow that to slip through the cracks because there are pressures in this industry and there are I think there are people who would be willing to take the opportunity to just see all of this land managed more and more centrally and less and less families on the ranch. And so we've got to do what we can to make sure that this is an enjoyable lifestyle mm-hmm. and that it's not just uh, something that we're letting, you know, that we're just barely squeaking by. And and I think that there's opportunities, but it's going to look different. You know, you might not be ranching like your grandparents were. You might be running cows that you don't own on land that you don't own, but getting paid because you're providing ecosystem services to the landowner and getting paid because you're providing grass for the rancher. And is everybody going to be able to find those opportunities? Probably not, but but some people can, and that's going to be the difference for some of them. Absolutely. Okay. We're on to the rapid fire questions. All right. Here's where the fun comes. Um, what's your favorite cut of steak and how do you like it? Ribeye, medium rare. Sorry, I'm not very uh, original. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What agriculture industry topic do you think we need to talk about more? Uh, Succession planning. Agreed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? (laughs) I I don't know. It didn't come directly from anybody I know, but a quote that goes through my mind all the time is, he who is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. I think that was a Thomas Jefferson quote. So that's really great. (laughs) Okay. And then a really fun one. What is your dream non-career job? Dream non-career job. Well, they say do find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And I I do really enjoy everything I do. Hmm. Non-career job. I don't know. I think I really enjoy what I do. I love talking to people. I love interviewing people. Okay. How about this? Uh, A restaurant food critic. I love to eat too. How's that? That's close to my dad's. My dad said he would be a server at a high end steak restaurant. He was like, I would just love to serve them up, you know, a steak that cost a hundred dollars or something and see the enjoyment on their face of them eating beef. So yeah, it's just a fun, Annie F. Downs actually asked that question on Instagram. She said, I know a hundred percent. I'm exactly where God called me to be. But she said, in my dream world, I'm doing X. And then she also followed it up with, I think in heaven, we might be doing those dream things. The people who say quilting is their non-career dream job. She's like, I kind of think in heaven, there's quilting rooms. And they're up there quilting away, just enjoying every single moment of it. And so it's something I like to think about because we can get in the grind, especially in agriculture, right? The days feel long. The weather right now is hot. Everyone wants to talk about it. And it is easy to get kind of in the grind, but it's always, I think, fun to just dream a little bit, even if it, if you know you're never going to pursue it. But it's fun to know there are other things that I love to do besides sweat outside. 
<laughs> and wonder when it's going to be cold. <laughs> in heaven, uh, heaven's going to, I'm, I'm assuming heaven will have uh, some variety. And so there's going to be an opportunity for the ladies and some guys to sit on the front step with their quilt and a pumpkin spice latte on a fall morning. And uh, we're going to need quilts for that. So I don't, I don't see why there wouldn't be quilting rooms. Absolutely. I'll be working a coffee shop up there. So hopefully we can have caffeine. This was a great conversation, Clay. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for the time, Caroline. Of course. Thanks again for listening to the Cattleman U podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. We are thankful to have you in your community. Like always, remember the grass is greener where you water it.